1 Corinthians 16, beginning at verse 15. And in the words of the hymn, let us listen to the Lord speak. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that there were the they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they were, have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. That you also be in subjection to such men and everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking in, on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Let's go to prayer before we tackle this text this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that these are the very words of God. And so as we, as we come and we listen this morning, I pray that you would give us ears to hear that you would grant us the ability to understand and that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher this morning. And so we know that nothing good will take place unless your spirit is the teacher. And so we pray that he will do that this morning and that you will again show us your glory in the face of Christ Jesus this morning, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, as we come to the end of the book uh, and as often as we come to an end of a book, we are often faced with that idea that Paul is just throwing out ideas helter-skelter and just trying to finishing up everything that he has to say. And to some degree, that's what he's doing. He's summing everything up. He's getting his last thoughts out on, on the paper. And so there's a tendency for us to look at the end of a book and to say, well... There's nothing there for us because he's really just giving some practical advice and some, some itineraries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet we know that every word of the scripture is inspired. Every word of, of the Bible is profitable. And so we know this morning that whatever Paul has written here is profitable for us. Now, as he writes this section, again, we remember that he is writing to the Corinthian church, and we said that the word, the one word for the book of Corinthians is what? Does anybody? The, there's one word that we've been, I've been talking about I was, for the book of Corinthians. I heard it in the back. I, no, I actually didn't. Corrections. Corrections. All right? So the, right away, we know that the, the Corinthian church is not the model church. In other words, Paul is writing a book that he is having to correct their behavior. He's having to correct their doctrine. He's having to answer their questions because they're not sure about how to behave. And in fact, we would say as we look at the book, they didn't behave very well at all. In fact, they are, they are fighting. He has to tell them, look, there's disunity among you. You guys are getting carried away with worldly philosophies. You want to be, you want to be preeminent. You want to find a teacher that tickles your ears with, with arguments that are complex, human philosophies. You've got sin among, amongst you that even the Gentiles don't have. You guys are confused about marriage. You guys are confused about the Lord's Supper. You guys are blaspheming God as you get together. And so this church generally just has troubles. 
In fact, if you were putting this on your resume and you went to a church, this is not the church that you, if you were looking to pastor, this is not the church you would go to. You would just say, you know what? There's too many problems there. I think I'll just move on and I'll find an easier place to minister. But Paul founded this church, and so he is in some ways stuck with it. But then again, Paul wasn't stuck with it. He, he loved the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wanted to correct it. And so as we come to this section here, Paul is about to give some instruction and some, some exhortations to a church that needs them. And he's actually going to call them to exercise love in the fellowship. He's going to call them to exercise love towards one another. He's going to call them to to act in humility towards one another. Because this church really hadn't been doing that at all, right? The The whole fighting over gifts was the idea of preeminence. I want to be first. I want I want my gift to be showy. I want everybody to see it. I don't, want, I don't want to be in, in, in the background. I want everybody to know who I am, right? They didn't want humility. Like I've said to many of you before, humility is not bad. I'm just afraid nobody will notice. And so the, this was the Corinthians attitude. It would be okay as long as someone noticed. And so they had, they had a problem of... of, of, of Again, wanting to to see preeminence, they wanted to have the the special teacher, they wanted to be the ones who were up front, they wanted people to notice. And so oftentimes, in that attitude then, and having a false standard of measuring what was good and what was right, they simply ignored what God would say was good, what God would say was valuable. And so this morning, as he comes to this text, that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to say, listen, I want you to again rearrange your thinking. I want you to rearrange your priorities and make them mine so that you as a fellowship will function correctly and biblically and have a a biblical understanding of what's important. And he says, if we're going to have a fellowship that reflects God's love and a fellowship that is healthy then you're going to have to follow the exhortations that I'm giving to the Corinthians. And he says, Corinthians, you need to take this. And he says, by by way of the Corinthians to us, we too must recognize these things as valuable in order for us to have a fellowship that exercises love correctly among each other. And so the first point that I wanted, these two exhortations really are that we need to, to... to follow those who are godly. The first one is simply, we need to follow those who are godly. And secondly, we need to recognize those who serve among us. And we'll see these two points as exhortations as we go through. First of all, we simply look at, at the fact that we are called to follow those who are godly. He says in verse 15, Now I urge you, brethren... And then he comes to this next part, and there's really a a parenthesis there, and he's going to tell you why you should submit to these men. But he says, uh, first of all, I want you to submit. I urge you. I'm exhorting you. Some people say he's even saying, I'm asking you to submit. That you be also in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work 
and labors. Now again, we know that the Corinthians had a problem with submission. They had a problem with putting themselves under. They were too busy pushing themselves forward. And so Paul says, I'm going to ask you to submit to these type of men, but, but the question is, what kind of men are they supposed to be submitting to? And then what does he mean by submission? We're going to answer both of those questions as we go through here. Now, I know those, those questions immediately popped into your mind, and I'm glad that we're, 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 we're tracking together as we go through this. So he says, first of all, what kind of men are we supposed to submit to? Well, he says, I, he says you know the household of Stephanus. And he says, in other words, you, you're, you're aware of them. You, you know who they are. You, you, you're aware of them. You know facts about them. You know who they are. The household of Steph- Stephanus. Now, again, right away, we, when we think of household in North America, what do we think of? The nuclear family. We think of the nuclear family. We immediately think this is Stephanus and his wife and his three kids. Middle East, maybe there was four. But the idea here is that, that, but the word household here is a bigger term than that. In other words, this would include the servants in his house, that would, the slaves in his house, all who is associated with his house. So it is, it is a greater number of people than the nuclear family here. In fact, some have speculated that the other men that are listed in here might have been free slaves of his. We don't know for sure. But the idea is that the whole household was, is, is what he's talking about here. So it's more than the nuclear family that they were the first fruits of Achaia. Now the idea here is that they were the first fruits. We've talked about first fruits before. First fruits was, was an Old Testament idea where when you had a crop, you used to put your crops in and, and oftentimes your crops would go in at various times because it took you one day to do one field and another day. And so your crops would start to ripen. And what you would do is the very first of your crops that were ripened, you would take a portion of that and you would give, give it as an offering to God. And that was, that was a, an offering to God. And the idea was a thankfulness to God, but also th- there was the expectation that this was the first of more to come. In other words, there was going to be more more crops coming because more of them would be ripening, ripening and you would be taking them off. And he says to them, this, the people that we're talking about, these were the first fruits of this area. They are, they are the first ones to come to salvation. This, in other words, they are the first ones to ripen, the first ones to come to salvation. And he says, this family is, it was, we would understand at the very, very start of the church in Corinth. They are, they are one of the found, founding members, one of those people who got, got saved early in the ministry. Now, again, we, we know about Stephanus, that he was one of the few persons that in Corinth whom Paul baptized personally. He talked about that in 1 Corinthians 1.16. Now, I did not baptize also the household of Stephanus. Here's one of the few people I did, but no, I don't remember who else. So we, this is about all we know about him, that he was the first fruits, he came to salvation early, that Paul baptized him. He was probably visiting Paul in Ephesus at the time of this letter was written, along with the other two men, and probably delivered the letter from Corinth mentioned in 1 Corinthians 7.1. 
So he says, now I urge you continually to submit, he says, to these type of men, those, these people who were first saved, the first fruits, those who began in the church. And there may be a sense with the first fruits here that they were, they were preeminent. In other words, they, they began in ministry and started to work. And so they were part of that harvest. And he says, recognize these people. Recognize that this is the beginning of God working among you. These are the people who God saved first and who began as we were the foundation of the church in Corinth. And then he says this, and that they devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. So he says, this household was saved early. This household got in on the ground floor in the church. There may have been some sort of, 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 of leadership that was taken there or, or service that was taken on early. And he says, they devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. Now again, he says, they, they devoted themselves to ministry. That's the word deaconia, which where we get the word deacon. In other words, they, they began to, uh, to, to serve in the church. And they began to serve who? The saints. And so the idea here is, is not that they were given an office, but rather that they began to serve the church in, in menial tasks around the church. They begin to doing things like waiting tables and meeting needs and, and taking letters and, and helping others in the church. Now it's interesting because the word devoted here has the idea that they actually they were not appointed to ministry. In other words, Paul appointed many of his workers to ministry. He, he sent Titus, he sent Timothy, he sent people to various places. Uh, deacons were set up at various churches and appointed to an office. But the, he says this family here had no office. They weren't as such deacons. They weren't appointed as deacons. They were simply people who got saved and began to serve. They got saved and began to serve. And they began to serve. The idea here is they placed themselves under the idea of service. They did it willingly, voluntarily, and it was not burdensome or onerous task for them. In fact, I think the King James says that they were addicted to service. Addicted to service. Are you addicted to service? The idea here is, and, and, and is that they were completely given over to service. Now, this is not my idea, but I stole this. Drug addiction actually has three, has three primary characteristics. First of all, it involves a strong habit uh, an overpowering desire and compulsion to take a given drug. Second, it involves growing a tolerance to the drug so that in order to maintain the desired effect, a larger dose must be taken. Third is dependence, the state in which the addicted person must have the drug in order to function. So you go from a strong desire to needing more to now you can't function without it. 
And there's a sense is that's the same thing with ministry with the believer. It should be. That you have a strong desire because God has placed the love of God in your heart for believers to serve him. And pretty soon you're going to find that as you serve the saints, this insane thing happens. You can't get enough of it. You, you just see more and more and more and you want to do more. In fact, it gets to the point where you're dependent on it because guess what? That's a way of life, right? You serve as you love the Lord Jesus Christ and as you serve him, you start to serve the saints and that becomes who you are. In other words, when you're not, it should be, you should be like an addict, right? Where, where, where do I serve? Where, 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 what needs to be done? And the idea here is they were addicted to service. They were devoted. They placed themselves voluntarily. They wanted to do it. There was a compulsion to do it. There was a need to do it. The apostle himself was addicted to the Lord's work and strongly encouraged all believers to be like him. Paul did the Lord's work habitually out of a powerful driving compulsion. The more he ministered, the more he felt compelled to minister. Isn't that something? He became dependent on the Lord's work in order to function. He could not live normally if he was not engaged in some needed service for his Lord. Now, he wasn't a workaholic who was compelled by the work. He simply loved the Lord Jesus Christ. He was addicted for love's sake to the saints. Paul talks about, I'm compelled, right? I've got to go. I have a desire. I have a, I have a burden for the church. And so Paul's Paul's saying, this is who these people are. He says, they are, they are those who came to the Lord, who began service, who had some influence in the church, and now they are those who have what? Ministered to the saints. And this is who they are. They are compelled to serve others by the love of Christ. And if we are going to have a healthy church, if we are going to demonstrate the love of God to one another, that love that should for Jesus Christ that should be overflowing. We are going to be, have to be like these people. That we, we must be addicted to his servant, devoted to the ministry to the saints. It should not be something that we put on once in a while. It should be something that our lives revolve around. And so he says, I want you to submit to these kind of people. I want you to submit to those kind of people who are so devoted to the Lord that that is, consumes them, that is who they are. This is who they minister. So he says, this, these are the kind of people that you need to submit your lives to. So the question becomes, how do we do that? What does, I mean, what does he mean by submission? What does he mean by submission? Does he say, does he saying 
we need to what? Obey them? Is that what is he saying? Do they have authority over us? What does he mean by submission? The idea here is to place oneself under someone else voluntarily. In other words, you need to find people who minister like this and to place yourself underneath them. In fact, he says, he gives us a little bit more clue as to who they are. Because you might think, well, these are, these are the super, super saints. These must be the leaders of the church. But he's not talking about that. Look at the end of the verse. He says, And to everyone who helps in the work and labors. So he says, here, here, here's the household who's devoted themselves to do that. Now he says, I want you to do, I want you to submit also to everyone who helps and works. Now the idea here again of, of, of helps is the idea of coming alongside and working cooperatively. This is where we get the word synergy from. And he says, everyone who is, who is working alongside in the work towards the saints, doing the work of the Lord, you need to be what? Submitting to. And then he says this, who labor and labor. Now the idea here is, I want you to submit to people who are demonstrated by Stephanus' household, and I want you to find everyone just like them who is working alongside cooperatively in the work of God, who are laboring. And the idea with labor here is not, not the idea of working so much as the idea is the result of hard work, of putting all your effort in. I want you to find the people who are exhausted from ministry, and I want you to follow them. I don't want you to just to follow anybody. I don't want you to just follow those who, who are just starting out. But I want you to look for the saints in the church who are ministering and working and who are cooperating in the ministry and who are working so hard that they're exhausted. And he said, find those mature saints and he says, submit to them. In other words, place yourself underneath them. So what does that mean? What does that mean, place yourself underneath them? The idea is this. We all need teachers. We all need examples. Paul set himself up as an example. He said, follow me as what? I follow Christ. Over and over, the idea was to set yourself, as I follow Christ, follow me. And he says to the Corinthian church, listen, you guys have been pushing yourself to the front. You guys are trying to be the leaders. You're trying to be noticed. You're trying to be first. And he says, instead of that, I want you to voluntarily place yourself under mature saints who are doing ministry so that you can follow their example and you can learn from them. In other words, the church should be a place that instead of pushing for your rights, 
pushing for your little area of expertise, pushing yourself forward to be seen should be a place where you come to lose yourself because you place yourself under those and you recognize those who are more spiritual than you, who are working hard at the ministry, who demonstrate these qualities, and then you follow them. Don't be unteachable. Don't be someone who has to be preeminent, but rather follow these type of people. Learn from them. Follow their example as they follow Christ. And how much of the church would the fighting in churches go away if people would just recognize this principle? If they would just recognize, guess what? You're here to be a learner. You're here to follow others who've gone before you. You don't know everything. You can learn from others. In fact, you need to learn from others. In fact, it's wrong not to. Get that? We're not just saying, he's not just saying you need to do it. He's saying that if you don't do it, you're wrong. That puts a little different spin on it. And so the question should be for us here this morning, who are we following? Who are we following? Are we, are we independent? Are we somehow a rock unto ourselves? Are we those who are looking around the church and recognizing those who demonstrate these qualities and then placing ourselves voluntarily, going over and saying, hey, can I learn from you? Can I follow you? Can you teach me? Can you show me? We live in an independent age. We live in North America, right? Where rights and freedoms and, and to be independent is, is like you pound your chest. Yet in the church, there's nothing, we don't know anything of that. We're interdependent. And so he says, if we're going to be a loving fellowship, we're going to have to humble ourselves and we're going to have to actually learn from one another. And so this morning, if you're not following anyone, if you have not placed yourself under someone that you recognized to be spiritually ahead of you and in exercising these qualities, then you need to go and you need to find them. You need to go and find them. So often we are always looking for leadership or for someone to come to us and to nab us. And we think, well, you know what? This is not a very friendly church. No one came to me and said hello, and no, and no one grabbed me by the collar and dragged me into anything. But it's your responsibility to do this. You need to actually go and to find someone and to follow them. Because the idea here is you submit yourself. And in our spiritual walk, we need to take responsibility for us. For we have to take responsibility for ourselves. And so don't expect that someone's going to come tap you on the s s uh, shoulder and drag you somewhere. Now, it just may happen. There might, you might, by God's grace, you might have a godly saint who will come along and say, you need help, right? 
But more than likely, you're going to have to actually go and find them. And so older saints, you need to, and you who are serving, you need to be ready for that. You need to be willing to do that. You must be willing to, to disciple and to mentor. That is part of who the church is. And so Paul calls us to do that here this morning. Now again, you can certainly see the problem at Corinth, right? How many times did he call them arrogant, right? This is far from being arrogant. And so he calls them to humble themselves and to follow and to place themselves voluntarily. Now notice this, this is not saying church submit to the eldership. This is saying saints submit to one another. Recognize those saints. Recognize those saints. Whew, we're halfway through. Okay. course we remember Christ is our example we follow him and as we follow Christ we should follow those who follow Christ and then ultimately the goal here is to what for you to be one that people can follow right we're, we're not we're not we're not trying to have a bunch of, of babies who are always on the bottle eventually we want you to follow others so that you grow up so that you can you can help others and so learn from others so that others can learn from you that's how the church grows that's how it's passed on right we are here we are here in the business of church of, to make people into the image of our lord jesus christ and so it's, we don't want people always dependent, but we want you dependent enough so that you recognize those above you in the faith so that you too can be one that is followed as you follow them, as you follow Christ, as they follow Christ. All right. So we need to follow those who are, who are godly in the faith. He says simply follow them, submit to them, Place yourself underneath them. And then we need to appreciate those who serve us. He says in verse 17, I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. So Paul says, I rejoice I, I, this idea of grace, I rejoice on this grace that has come upon me. That these men have come to me. I, I am continually rejoicing. I, I am pleased that they have come, they have arrived, they have come to me and supplies what is lacking in you, from you. Now the idea here is that Paul is not scolding them. He's not saying to them, look, um, you guys are coming up short. Fact is, I, I've been shortchanged. I've been waiting for you to guys to help me out. You haven't helped me out. And so finally, finally you've done something. That's not, what he, that's not what he's saying here. 
what Paul is saying is, I'm glad, I'm glad that you've, they've come because they make up for your absence, we could say. In other words, he's saying, your physical presence is lacking with me. Your, your, the affections that you would give towards me has been lacking because I haven't been with you. And Paul is basically saying, there's a gap in my life because I miss you. And he says, now, now they have, you, these men have come from you and they are now supplying that. It's as if we could say, he is the incarnation of the, they are the incarnation of the Corinthian church. They are the physical embodiment of the Corinthian church as they come to Paul and they minister to him. And so he says, I, I just rejoice. I'm, I am, I am, I have this joy inside me and delight at the activity of God's grace in my life as God has brought them from you to me. And now it's as if I have a piece of the Corinthian church with me. And he says, for they have refreshed my spirit in yours. In other words, they have, they have brought... Um, They have brought, brought my spirits up. They, I, was, I was struggling. It was difficult. This word here can, is the same word used in Philemon. Yes, brother, let me benefit you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. The idea is, is bringing his spirits up, bringing comfort to him. And Paul says, their companionship, the fact that they have come, their fellowship with me has been something that has been refreshing. Now that's a compliment to be paid. You would hate to have <laughs> people, every time you went and visited them, they said, whew, that was tough. That was difficult. You know, I, I you know, let's talk at the door, right? Let's... But here he says, no, far from that. Here are, here are some people who have come and they have, they have given me companionship and fellowship. And they have refreshed me. They have encouraged me. They've now helped me. They have come. They have helped me. They have taken a burden off of me. They have helped me in the ministry here. They have encouraged my soul by their presence. Now, God is not God, the God of comfort, but he also has made it so that we get comfort from others, not just from himself. Paul used the same Greek word in the passage which Jesus used in promising rest to those who believe in him. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Paul's friends help the hard-pressed apostle find rest and refreshment. They lighten his burden by being with them, just by being with them because they came from the church. And you have to look at this. Corinth was not known for a loving, giving church, right? I mean, they, they, they question his apostleship. He'll go all through 2 Corinthians to, to defend his apostleship, apostleship. They have been mean and nasty. They have, they have confronted Paul. 
They haven't been kind to him. In fact, Paul is, remember, he was having to, he was defending the people that he was sending there because he wasn't sure how they would be received. And now Paul is receiving people from Corinth in an expression of love and fellowship. And you can see that Paul, who has been fighting with this church, and this church is so immature, and this church is so carnal and worldly, and here he is now receiving actually support from them. And what an encouragement it must have been to his heart to see them come and to fellowship with him. And so there's no doubt that they gave a spiritual boost to Paul as he came, as he came. Proverbs 25, 25, like cold water, a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. And so Paul here was refreshed. And so Paul, again, is refreshed spiritually because these men come to him and they serve him. And Paul himself was refreshed many times in in his ministry. Even though God is a God of comfort, he pressed for the coming of Titus in, in 2 Corinthians 7, 6, near the end of, his, end of his life, which he had given selfishly in serving and encouraging other apostles. The apostle Paul himself was in need of encouragement and help. He asked Timothy to make every effort to come to him soon. Bring Mark, for he's useful to me in service. Even though Paul had Luke with him, he still wanted to have more believers around him. And so this kind of companionship that these men offered refreshes everyone involved. In fact, it says, my spirit and yours. And so Paul basically says, you know what these men were like because when they were with you, they what? They refreshed you. They, they were companions to you. They gave fellowship to you. They were refreshing. And so they were refreshed. Paul was refreshed. And so Paul says, look at these men. They have come. They've come from you. And they have, they have served the Lord with me. And they have come and they have refreshed and they have ministered with me and to me. And they have encouraged me in the Lord. And then he says, therefore, acknowledge such men. Therefore, acknowledge such men. And Paul Paul says, listen, after what I've just told you about these men's ministry, these men who have left the church, who have gone out to do the work of the Lord, who have come and ministered to me, he says, Acknowledge such men. In other words, take notice of them. Give recognition to such people. And again, it's, it's, an, it's a command. Acknowledge them. You must acknowledge them. He calls, calling for the Corinthians to continually recognize these kind of men. They deserve generous recognition. Recognize them for the, who they are. Faithful, godly workers for the, nor, for the Lord. The word acknowledge here, again, signifies the recognitions of something for what it really is. And he says to the, to the Corinthians, listen, 
there's been a tendency on your part to not recognize those who serve among you, those who work hard among you. You haven't valued those leaders in the church who have got sacrificed and gone and done service for the Lord. And he says there's a sense in which you have, you have seen being self-promoting, you've been arrogant, you've done your own thing. But you have forgotten to recognize those who are serving the Lord in ministry. And he says, you need to recognize them. You need to give them the due respect for which they are, they deserve. In other words, these godly men have risen to the top because of their character, because of their devotion to the Lord. And he says, you need to give them the respect that is due them. And it would seem that Paul, as, as he points to these men, says, look, at these men have gone into ministry. They have gone forward and represented the church. And now you must acknowledge them for who they are. Instead of seeing them as weak, seeing them as, as set apart, seeing them as nothing, you must recognize the priority of godly men and leaders in the church. And there's often a tendency when a church has its priorities wrong to prioritize other things than godly leadership. And so we often want to put men into power who are, who have a, who are good at business, who have a nice personality, who have a certain, certain group in the church that they appeal to, right? We've got to get a Brown because we've got 25 Browns and we need a Jones because there's 30 Joneses and so we need constituency. And so this is how we appoint elders and we're all worried about trying to keep everyone happy. And Paul says, that's not what you're measuring on. You need to acknowledge this kind of man. These kind of men who go out and do ministry, and guess what? They're doing it right, because Paul is spiritually refreshed. And so he says, we need to recognize the need for godly leadership and then to acknowledge them. This is, this, this is to recognize them for who they are. He's not saying make a plaque for them. He's not telling to give them honors, but he says we need to have in our heart as a church a priority on godly men and godly women in the church. This, this is what we need to see. So Paul says there's appreciation and respect that is due these men. And so we would say this, even, even within the church, we know that leadership and eldership within the church is appointed by God prim first and primarily, right? God appoints leadership in the church. He's the one who appoints leaders. He's given pastors and teachers for what? The building up of the body. So that is a God-given office. That isn't something that you can be self-appointed to. But he says it is now the church's job to actually recognize that. In other words, 
God, God, the call is from God, God appoints, but it is the job of the church to make a priority to recognize these kind of men. And then to give them the respect that is due their office and do, do who they are. Again, it's the Holy Spirit that makes elders, but it is the church to formalize and recognize that appointment. And so when it comes to leadership within the church, we must recognize that we need to find these kind of men, godly men who are in ministry, faithful to the word, faithful in the tasks that God has given to them, and then appoint them. And it must not be on the, on the, on the basis of anything else worldly, but upon the recognition of who they are. And so we want men who are qualified according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5, men who, who are by character qualified and who by, and, and remember this, character is minimum. In other words, if they don't have the character, it doesn't matter. But we also expect function. And these men must be functioning. And these men were functioning. They were functioning in ministry using their gifts. And so we are looking for men who are qualified biblically for leadership. And he says, recognize them. Make them a priority. See them for who they are. In other words, value them. And if a church is going to function correctly, it must put its emphasis on what God puts on it and emphasis, and it must emphasize godly leadership within the church. And so, again, he's saying, value those who, are what, who labor among you. Acknowledge them. Know them. And again, primarily what he's looking for here, and again, is an attitude. Okay, it will and in attitudes will always come out in actions. It will always end up expressing itself, whether publicly or privately. But the idea is, as a church, we must prioritize this. Acknowledge them. Acknowledge them for who they are. This is something that we, as a church, must have as a priority. And if we do, then we will be pleasing to God. And then the fellowship will run according to God's values. And it will, we will express God's love in a way that is appropriate. And so he says, I want you to understand that you must acknowledge this kind of man. Well, that's a lot out of, two little, out of four little verses. But Paul is giving these ex exhortation and we see these principles here. And if we're going to be a healthy church, if we're going to be a loving church, if we're going to have true Christian fellowship, we have to make our priorities the same one that Paul makes for the Corinthians. And if we do that, if we're the ones who are willingly submitting to one another, learning from one another, learning from those who are more spiritual than us, then where's the time for fighting? We're too busy learning. 
We're too busy humbling ourselves. Humility goes a long way. This will only be able to be done if we have the love of Christ in our heart. And then we must recognize those who serve honorably among us. We must make it a priority of a church that we are led and that we put an emphasis on godly male leadership in the church. And if we do, we will have a church that is functioning in love the way that God commands us to do. So let us, Bowmanville, let us be a church that submits to one another and recognize God's priority. Then we too will be a healthy church pleasing to God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity. And Lord, we recognize that the priorities that you have for the church here are priorities that we can't accomplish on our own. And so, Lord, I pray that you would again fill us with a love for you that you would help us to love you, that we might love others correctly so that we might be able to submit to one another and that we might see your priorities in the church as our priorities and that we would be a church that would reflect your love because we have reflected obedience to your word. So impress upon us these truths, I pray. For your, for your namesake, I pray. Amen.